word. Thank you, Pastor Darrell. Well, this better be good this morning, right? No pressure. Happy New Year. How's everybody doing this morning? Thank you for showing up, and I'd like to welcome all who are watching online as well, especially all my millions of fans. Thank you for watching. Actually, two particular. Hi, Mom and Dad. Appreciate you watching this morning. Uh, they're, like, uh, they're like, man, it's good to always, when you acknowledge when your friends come visit, uh, I was like, yeah, I never acknowledged them, so I just want to acknowledge them this morning. It's all good. I'm just so grateful and honored to always speak in, in this series, but man, a new year. I mean, I don't know about you, but I think 2016 went by very fast. What about you? Um, I've been a youth pastor here at Christian Life Church for two years now. I mean, two years. I mean, Pastor Daryl renewed my 10-day contract for the 74th time, and I am so grateful for that. I got 10 more days. Um, so it's interesting because now this time of year you hear all about New Year's resolutions. I don't necessarily believe in New Year's resolutions, although I, I'm a firm believer in resetting things in your life. Um, you don't necessarily need January 1st to do that, but this is a good time. And I thought, uh, I, I read over some resolutions. Some of them may be our very own staff resolutions. Let me, let me share a few. This New Year's, I resolve to be less awesome, since that is really the only thing I do in excess. I mean, that's usually my resolution. I, I get it. Um, here's another one. I'm planning on finding new and interesting things to hate about my job in 2017. I'm, I'm going to leave that staff member um, identity secret, okay? Um, here's, here's Pastor Fred's. I'm sorry, Pastor Fred, I kind of just found this on your desk. I apologize. But it says, my New Year's resolution is to be more optimistic by keeping my cup half full with either rum, vodka, or whiskey. So, uh, no, no, that must have been one of his uh, jokes that he wants to intro. Um, here's Pastor Daryl's, I think. My New Year's resolution is to stop hanging out with people who ask me about my New Year's resolution. So... Um, and the last one, my New Year's resolution is to break my New Year's resolutions. So that way I succeed at something. So let me share a few New Year's resolutions that if you make, you probably will succeed at them this year. Um, number one, worry more. Um, number two, waste time. Uh, spend more money. Read less. Procrastinate more. Gain weight exercise less, eat more, complain often, and my personal favorite, be late to church as often as I can. So, I mean, if you do that, you may succeed at uh, one or a few of them. But what's interesting is New Year's resolutions, 41% of Americans actually make New Year's resolutions. I think that was pretty low. But 42% actually do not make New Year's resolutions, which leaves 17% of Americans say they do, but they really don't. The most interesting statistic of them all is 9% of the 41% that make New Year's resolutions actually succeed. So let me ask you this. Are you ready for a new year? Are you ready for a reset? By show of hands, how many of you are ready for a fresh start? Many of you. Now let me ask you this. Did you have a bad year in 2016? I have a word for you. This too shall pass. Let me give you, what about many of you, how many of you had a good year in 2016? Let me give you another word. This too shall pass, all right? So, uh, 
very positive and encouraging word. 2016 was a good year for me. I mean, for the most part. I mean, but just like every year, it has its challenges, right? But I want to talk to you about an experience I had about five or six years ago. Um, 2009 was a great year for me. I mean, I was leading a youth ministry for many years, um, and things were just going great. Um, uh, the teenagers were definitely growing. Parents of teenagers were, were seeing the fruit and the, their, their, their kids, you know, growing spiritually. The staff was, was happy because the church was growing and the youth ministry was a part of that. I mean, things were booming. I was putting in 80 plus hours a week for four plus years and finally I'm starting to see fruit. It was good. However, in 2010, 2010 was the worst year of my life. Now there was a few good highlights. I was ordained as a minister, I traveled. There was, there was a few highlights in between, but in 2010, it was a year filled with challenges, disappointments, struggles, setbacks, and tests. At the end of 2009 and in the, going into the beginning of 2010, I received um, some, some pretty bad news where that my father uh, was diagnosed with a severe heart condition and was given three months to live. Um, it's called cardiomyopathy, which uh, his heart was functioning as low as 12 to 15 percent. Another term for it is congestive heart failure stage four, which is the worst stage you can have. And he was given three months, and he was estimated to die um, excuse me, by January, late January or so. However, um, I said hi to him online, right? So... Three months gone by, seven years later, he's still alive. So that's a good thing. I'm setting myself up for doom this morning, talking about that, getting all emotional. But, um, but 2010, it was the hardest year of my wife, Kelly, and I's life that we've ever faced in our life. Because in this year, how do you, you know that when, when God is doing things and, and you're producing fruit and things are happening in ministry, what, what's, what else is happening? The enemy's not happy, right? So he really tried to break up a happy home. And, um, you know, when we talk as a church, we, we, we say we want to reach the community and we, we say we want to do good things for God, but when you start seeing it, when the community starts being reached, and they start coming to the church, things start changing, right? And, and people in the church did, weren't really happy with, with that. Um, you never say that, but different people were coming in, and, you know, the youth group, which was nice and, and safe for the whole family, started becoming a youth ministry, and kids started to reach the community. It was great, but created some problems, and people weren't very happy with me. There wasn't a week that went by that I didn't get an email of hurtful things or or um, people talking bad about me. Even there was, there was a lot of conflict within the staff because we were feeling the pressure of the congregation. But the worst day of my life in 2010 was when, <clears throat> excuse me, I had to face 12 teenagers, my student leadership team who I spent a lot of my time with, one of them being Nicole, who led worship this morning, was on that student leadership team. 
I have to tell these 12 teenagers who I love more than life itself that, that I was leaving. Not by my choice, but I was leaving. It had to be done. And, and when I left the church, I didn't know if God had any more in store for me after this. I knew stuff like this happened to people all the time, but when, when it happens to you, right, you become angry and sad. I was angry, but even more so, I was sad. See, this passion-filled dream that I had of, of leading youth ministry and and leading young people to Christ became this massive and painful question mark in my life. And in the start of 2011, I was waking up to blank. Nothing. See, when you think about your future hopes and dreams, the last image you ever want to have is blank. Nothing to show. And I understand, especially now, that anger and sadness was not going to fix anything. You can't change anything. How many of you have ever been in a situation that you just couldn't change, right? You couldn't change anything. You wanted to, but you couldn't. I've learned that there is no reason to staying upset. But it was a time in my life where I really didn't know what to do. The part that really messes with you, though, is this. I thought God was leading me towards something, and then the rug got pulled out from under me, and everything I thought was from God and for God was gone. It got me wondering, anytime God was trying to talk to me, or I felt God was leading me in any way, I questioned it. Is it God or is it indigestion? I didn't know. I didn't know this feeling. It's a weird moment. It really messes up. When it's really messed up when you are almost certain what God is going to do, and then it's over, and it makes you question a lot of things in your life. It's a weird moment in your life when you feel like one day God is preparing you, and the next day God is forgetting you. So I had personal turmoil going on. I was struggling because I thought my father was going to die. Now I'm, I'm struggling with personal spiritual turmoil because I was a minister and I was leading youth, and then that was taken away from me. And it affected me in all areas. In fact, I didn't even want to go out in public. And if you know me, I'm a very social person. And even though I was living in a big city, and it, its mindset was very much like a small town, at least the part where I lived. Every time I went grocery shopping or every time I filled up the car with gasoline, I saw someone from that church. And they would come up to me and they would ask me, what happened, Dan? What's going on? What are you doing now? And you know what my answer was? You know what I'm doing now? Hot nothing. I wake up every morning with a plate of hot nothing. I mean, I had an attitude, right? I had an attitude. I didn't want to be negative because, you know, I needed to still be Christ-like even though I didn't work at a church. But at the same time, I didn't know how to describe um, what I was going through. So I didn't say much. But those people often from the church said to me, God is going to bring you out. Now at first, I thought this was spiritual nonsense. 
And I mean, it's what people say when they don't know what to say, right? God's going to bring you through. They would say to me stuff like, God is so great, and one day he'll be great for you. Well, gee, thanks. That makes it, that's really encouraging, right? John 13, 7 says, and Jesus saying to his disciples, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Something I read and something I needed to be aware of at the time. Today I want to talk to you about how I was able to reset some things in my life after I experienced the worst time in my life. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 39. I want to crack open the story of Joseph. And you can read all about Joseph's life in Genesis chapter 37 through 41. But for the sake of time, I'm going to give you the highlight reel of his life. And I believe that God is going to speak to all of us here and online through this story. The first thing you need to know about Joseph is he was his dad's favorite and his brothers despised him. Now, I can relate. I'm my parents' favorite, all right? I mean, I know this. My sisters know this. They hate this. Listen, I'm the only son, the only brother, the only grandson, the only nephew in my family. I'm the chosen one, all right? To my family, I can walk on water. So I can relate to Joseph being the favorite, all right? The other thing you need to know about Joseph was that he had these weird dreams, God would give him these dreams, and then he would go tell his brothers. Let me give you an example. Joseph told his brothers that he had this really cool dream about how the sun, the moon, and the stars all bowed down to him, and that everyone and everything will bow down to him one day. Isn't that awesome? No, that's obnoxious. And his brothers thought the same thing. And in fact, they hated it. Listen, if your siblings go around telling you that someday you're going to bow down to them, how do you think you're going to feel? Right? So one day, Joseph's brothers were tired of it. And they threw him in a well to let him die. Then one brother spoke up and said, why should he die in a well? I have an even better idea. Why don't we just sell him? So they sold him to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officers, as a slave, and then his brothers go back and tell their dad that Joseph, his favorite, was eaten by animals. And then the Bible says something real strange, Genesis 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Now, when I read this, it's not a real comforting verse. I mean, I read it as, and the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a good little slave, right? Obviously, God's favor was pouring out on this kid. He was beaten, thrown in a well, and sold as a slave. It's pretty obvious that the Lord was with Joseph, right? That's not how I look at it. It doesn't make any sense, but I'm going to get there in a minute. So Joseph is at Potiphar's house, and he decides that he might as well work hard. So he works hard, and Potiphar notices, and he puts Joseph in charge, of, in charge of all of his personal affairs. Joseph is running the business. He's running the house. He is entrusted with all this responsibility. But someone else notices Joseph as well. 
Potiphar's wife. And she wants to have a personal affair of her own. And this is what happens. Genesis 39, verse 6. It says, Joseph was a very handsome man and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. I mean, I feel like this woman was pretty straightforward, don't you think? I mean, uh, you know, Joseph was probably sitting there like, what are you trying to say? I mean, right? So then Joseph rejects her and runs out of the house. She gets mad and accuses him of rape, and he gets thrown into prison. So that worked out for him, right? Very well. Let me say this about Potiphar's wife real quick. This is a side note. This, one, this one's a freebie. Joel, this one's a freebie for you, right? I got you on this one. See, people tend to describe this woman as this seductive woman with a Marilyn Monroe voice. And it was such an intense sexual temptation for Joseph that he just had to run. Really? I mean, the Bible says that Joseph was a good-looking guy, but it doesn't say anything about her looks. I mean, she could have been, well, you know, eh, not, not so pretty. It might have not been as intense. It might have been more like Joseph was sitting there, and he's like, you know, it's not you, it's me, let's just be friends. I mean, I'm obviously speculating here, right? So here's Joseph is in prison, just trying to lighten the mood a little bit, because this is pretty serious. Joseph's in prison now, accused of a crime he didn't commit. And guess what the Bible says about it? Verse 21 in chapter 39. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. What a great day that might have been, right? How do you know that the favor of God is pouring down in your life? I was in jail, and the warden gave me a big old fat thumbs up, so I'm feeling pretty good today. As Joseph is in prison, he decides again that he might as well work hard, like he did in Potiphar's house. And the warden notices him, and he puts him in charge of the operations of the prison. What kind of prison is this? Right? I mean, the warden just like notices somebody. He's like, I think we should have one of the prisoners run things around here. Really? And just when you think this story can't get any more weird, then Pharaoh's cupbearer gets thrown into prison, and while he's there, he has this horrible dream, this nightmare. And he ends up meeting Joseph, and he tells him about it. And Joseph interprets the dream for him. He tells the cupbearer that, that in three days, he is going to stand before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is going to give him his job back. Joseph tells him that when this happens, please mention him. Mention me. I've been, I've been beaten, thrown in a well. I was kidnapped. I'm an innocent man in prison. Give me a shout-out to Pharaoh. That's not too much to ask, right? So three days later, it happened just as Joseph said it would. The cupbearer gets his job back, and he forgets to tell Pharaoh about Joseph. You've got to be kidding me, right? <laughs> really? Like Joseph does a good thing here, and the, and the cupbearer just says he's just happy and all good, and he forgets to mention 
Now, I'm sure, though, if you see this pattern, that we're going to see that the Lord was with Joseph, right? So Pharaoh starts getting these bad dreams as well. Pharaoh goes to the psychic friends network, and they can't interpret his dream. So he's talking to his cupbearer about it, and, it, and he goes, Oh, yeah, the cupbearer says. There's this Hebrew kid in prison. He interpreted a dream for me one time. Maybe he can help you. Two years later. So Pharaoh says, I want him here now. So the guards get Joseph out of prison. They clean him up. They, they shave his face. They put on a nice shirt for him. And they bring him before Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells Joseph his dream and asks him to tell him what it means. Now this is Joseph's big shot, right? After all the bad things that has happened to Joseph, this is the big moment for him to shine. And look what the Bible says in Genesis 41, verse 16. It is beyond my power to do this. Eh, wrong answer, Joseph. Really? I mean, Joseph's like, hey, thanks, thanks for getting me out of prison, but no, this is beyond my power. Listen to what it says right here. He says, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. See, Joseph was getting to that part. He was trying to show Pharaoh, listen, it isn't me. It is God through me. So God gives Joseph the interpretation, and he tells Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is more than impressed, and he calls all of his officials together, and he says in Genesis 41, verse 38, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all of my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Pharaoh knew Joseph 10 minutes, and he's going to put him in charge of an entire country. I'm sure all these guys that have been working for Pharaoh for a long time was just super thrilled about this, right? Working hard, and this guy walks in 10 minutes later, says a few thoughts about a dream, and boom, he's in charge of the entire country. This is kind of a big deal. How did this happen? How is this even possible? Joseph's life is one disaster after another, and then all of a sudden he's in charge of Egypt. You don't really look at this guy's life and initially say, God is with Joseph, right? That's not a logical conclusion here. But something was happening behind the scenes the whole time. Because even though he was thrown in a well, beaten, sold into slavery, accused of rape, forsaken, and rejected, the whole time it looks like Joseph was being pushed down, God was actually moving him up. He was in charge of Potiphar's house. He was in charge of the prison. And now he's in charge of Egypt. You see a pattern here? See, I believe God was using each situation to prepare him for the next situation. How many of you know that if you ever want to be at the top, 
you got to spend some time on the bottom. No one ends up with great power without going through some great problems. If you want God do, to do something great through you, you know what he'll do first? He's going to build something great in you. He's going to build your character. God was working on Joseph's character the whole time in Potiphar's house, in the prison. And here's what's interesting. Philippians 2.13, Paul said this, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. What was Joseph's life like when he was sitting in the dark, sitting in that dark well, sitting in that dark prison, wondering what was going on? God, what did I do to deserve this? God was working on him the whole time. Someone once told me that God can take you somewhere, but it's your character that'll keep you there. See, everybody knows someone with more talent than they have integrity, right? Those times you are sitting in the dark and you are facing a blank wall and you are wondering where God is in all this, you ever feel like that? You ever feel that God left you or forgot you? I was there. That's where I was. These are the times God is doing his most incredible work, though. I wish that wasn't the case. I wish it was in those times where everything's going great instead of when things are not going so great. Why can't God just let things go fine and still work and teach me and help me to grow? Why can't he do that? See, Hebrews 13, 5, may we never forget this, that God said he will never leave you nor forsake you. See, it's not fun to go through adversity, but everyone has to go through it. The question is, how are you going to get through it? See, in James chapter 1 in the Message Bible, it says it this way. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. See, I want to get out of everything prematurely if it's painful, don't you? You ever, you ever say, hey, God, can you end this pain now? Right? Have you ever asked him that? See, pain doesn't feel like a gift, right? That's what the scripture said. This is a gift. Well, I hope God kept his receipt because he could take this gift back to the store where he got it because I don't want it. When everything gets stripped away, and blank is what's going on. When pain is the first thing you see and feel in the morning, what you really believe about God is going to show itself. Because you either believe that God has really left and forgotten you, or you believe that he's been there all along, working in your life the whole time. See, when I was in Rockford, a few years ago, going through the worst time of my life, I wondered why God would allow all these bad things to happen to me, and my wife especially. What did my wife Kelly do to deserve this? This was my job. This was my calling. We went through so many emotions during that time, mostly anger and fear of the unknown. 
See, when you don't know what's going on and you're sitting in the dark, all you can really do is pray. That's what I did. But let me be honest with you, they weren't sweet prayers. They were me yelling at God most of the time. I told God, I yelled at God and said, God, I spent most of my time preaching about how good you are, and I'm not feeling any of that. I even had trouble sleeping, and if you know me, sleeping is no trouble. I could sleep standing up, all right? I could fall asleep anywhere. Some of you already fall falling asleep this morning, right? You, you don't have a problem with that. Listen, when I first met my wife, I went to her birthday party, and I fell asleep at her birthday party. I mean, it was pretty boring, but I'm just saying, I could sleep anywhere. It was in these times that all I could do was pray. You see, there comes a point in our life when we have to decide to move on and reset, that when push comes to shove, you need to believe that God is still good even in the midst of the storm. You see, this was my prayer, Psalm, th Psalm 30, verse 9 and 10. It says, God, what will you gain if I die? If I sink into the grave, can my dust praise you? Can it tell of your faithfulness? Hear me, Lord, and have mercy on me. Help me, O Lord. Listen, there's nothing wrong with that prayer, all right? That's, that's the psalmist crying out to God, God, I want to serve you. I want to live for you, but what is going on here? God, don't let me die until I do all the things you've created me to do. Don't let this be the end. God, don't let me fill a coffin before I fulfill my calling. God, this can't be the end of my life purpose. This was my prayer. These are my thoughts. God, you put me through way too much. I've come out of way too much for this to be the end. And I refuse to believe because I believe that God is who he says he is. Somebody once told me when life gives you a hundred reasons to break down and cry, show life that you have a thousand reasons to smile and laugh. So let me tell you what made it made the difference in my life and in Joseph's life. When I was waking up to blank, nothing, instead of just laying around there feeling sorry for myself and being angry at God, I got up and did something. I went to the gym. Some of you are thinking, Dan, you need to go back to the gym again, seriously. Listen, don't worry about me, all right? I went to the gym. I worked out. I needed a song to pump me up, though, you know? I needed, like, What Doesn't Kill You, Make You Stronger by Kelly Clarkson. I needed that song. That didn't come out until October of 2011. I needed that much earlier, all right? Thanks, Kelly. Thank you. All right? I just kept on praying, kept on reading my Bible, kept on expecting that God was, gonna, was working despite my circumstances. I wasn't going to give up. I was grateful for everything I had instead of what I didn't have. I was just trying to listen to God so that he could get me ready for what he had next despite what was going on around me. I started running on the treadmill. I mean, do you, I don't like to run unless I'm being chased or I'm chasing something, all right? I mean, if there's food that I need to chase, I'll go get it, all right? I started running. I mean, I pulled the Forrest Gump said, I just started running, right? Worked for him. 
My prayer became, God, make me ready for what you have next for me, whatever it is. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're in a good place in your life right now. That's great. This should be your prayer. God, make me ready for what you have next. Maybe you're in a bad place in your life right now. God, make me ready for what you have next, whatever it is. See, if God was with Joseph in his tough times, God was with me too. And you know what? I believe God is with you as well. I heard a preacher once say, God can turn any mess into a message, any test into a testimony, any trial into a triumph, and any victim into a victor. I believe that there is a difference between a setback and a setup. Because for a year, I looked at my life in 2010 as a setback. But the moment I reset my mind, that this was not a setback, but a set up for something else God had for me. Things started changing. I want to challenge you. Three ways to reset your mind. I'm, I'm almost done. I, I waited up to this point to give you this whole story. Three things quickly. Number one, reset your preparation. What does that mean, Dan? It says, Romans 12, 2, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, Joseph, when he was thrown in, when he was sold into slavery, he had to reset his preparation, right? But he prepared himself, and he worked hard anyways. Are you with me? I know there's no amens. You don't want to work hard when things are going bad, but you need to reset your preparation. Listen, if it's God's will, don't sit around. Number two, you need to reset your priorities. Colossians 3, 2 says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. You see, Joseph focused on God in everything, whether he was in the well, whether he was a slave, whether he was in prison. Joseph kept his mind on things above, not on the earthly things. See, he had priorities, and his priorities was God. And the third thing is you need to reset your perspective. Philippians 2, 5 says, have the mindset of Christ Jesus. You see, Joseph set the example and led by example. We're supposed to have the mind of Christ, right? See, Christ wasn't, no matter what happened in his life, listen, he was put on a cross. You think he was like, woe is me. You know, he constantly complained. He was telling John and Peter, well, I don't deserve, deserve, deserve this, right? No, he had the, mind, the mindset of Christ Jesus is, is listen, God has a plan for me. I'm going to do whatever he says. My perspective is his ways, not my ways. Let me ask you this. Is your life a list of setbacks or setups for what's next? If you are always negative and complaining all the time, how are you going to be ready for what God has next for you? If you really believe God is who he says he is, if you really believe that there is a reason why you were born, then you have to believe that this is not the end of your story. And God is trying to tell you this is not the end. God is preparing you for what is next. Now wake up, wash your face, and get ready. 
Someone in here this morning and watching online right now may have every right to just stay in bed and do nothing. But I challenge you to believe that God has not left you or forgotten you. See, if God has not given up on you, you shouldn't give up on you either. Are you dead? No. Then you're not done. You need to realize that your story isn't over yet. See, for me, I believed what Proverbs 18, 16 says, that a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. What do I mean by that? I had no idea that one day God would bring my wife and two kids to Mount Prospect to serve under a great man named Pastor Daryl Merrill Jr. And there was a great place called Christian Life Church that would be the perfect fit for me. See, I had, excuse me, I had no idea what God had for me. But let me tell you this. I'm grateful for it. But I want you to hear something. I want you to hear not just the happy ending and that, oh man, God is so good. Yeah, I know I, he's going to be great for you. I knew it was going to happen. I want you to, I want to tell you the truth here. This is absolute truth. If I knew that I was coming here, I would have never been ready to be here. I would have never been ready. If I knew that this church was at the end of the tunnel, I would have missed God in the tunnel. It was in that darkness of mine when I had no idea, when the future was so blank it hurt, when I had no idea what to do with myself, when I looked in the mirror and I didn't know who I was anymore, and I spent a year trying to change myself to be something I was not, and then I spent another year trying to change back to who God made me to be in the first place. I had to make a reset. I had to reset my mind. See, God had to do that work in me so that he could do some more work through me. I didn't fail. God was just working. Philippians 1.16 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Your life is not a mistake from a list of failures, so don't look at it that way. Because God is still God. He's setting you up for what's next, just like he set up Joseph, just like he set me up. God's been trying to get your attention for a while now to reset some things in your life. You need to reset your preparation. When you wake up in the morning, what are you doing? Get ready. What about your priorities? What are your priorities? Are you trying to survive in this world? Or are you trying to live for God? What about your perspective? Are you constantly focusing on the problem? Or are you, or are you constantly fo focusing on the one who's going to solve that problem? So let me encourage you to let God be God and let him work in you. Because the moment you stop seeing your life as a tragedy is the moment you start moving towards triumph. When you believe that God is who he says he is and you're willing to bank on that even though your circumstances aren't showing it yet, that's faith. It's easy 
to follow God when everything is good, right? But when all hell is breaking loose, it's not so easy, is it? Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Come on now. Quit looking at tests and challenges in your life as a setback and start looking at it as, it as a setup. There are some of you that need to reset it all, not just your perspective and your attitude, but your whole life. You've been going through life by yourself, but now it's time to reset and trust God who knows best. You need to know that God is with you, and he is with you no matter what happens, so we need to live like that. He was with Joseph, he was with me, and he's with you. So no matter where you are in life, good or bad, seasons, no matter how old you are, no matter what's going on, God is with you. He promised us that, and he's never going to leave us nor forsake us. Do you believe that this morning? If you believe that, then why isn't life looking different? God's got something better for you, and he's getting you ready. You need to get ready. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for using Joseph's life as an example to show us all that despite our circumstances, despite no matter how bad things are, are going in our life, that Joseph stayed the course, that he kept his focus on you, that he reset his mind every day to do what he needed to do. And you were getting him ready for what, the calling that you had in his life. God, thank you for showing, showing me through my own story. That when it was the most painful time, when I didn't know who I was and what I was going to do, when, when everything I was trying to do was for you, was all taken away from me, God, you, you got me ready for what was next. God, you were just helping me grow to become mature and well-developed. God, I know I got a long way to go, but God, thank you for getting me ready for, for being here. Thank you for getting me ready for what you have in store for me. God, I pray for every person here this morning that is going through something. Maybe they feel, they feel unloved. Maybe they're having relational issues within their family. God, despite that, I pray that you will help them to reset their mind, to know that you are bigger than that, and that you are working behind the scenes to reconcile every relationship there is. God, maybe some of some of these people in here this morning, they feel like a slave. Maybe they're, they're at a job right now that they hate. They don't understand why they're there. They don't know what's going on. God, I pray that you will show them that you are working in them to get them ready for what is next because if they just keep on working hard and stay the course, you're going to show them the reason why they're at that job in the first place. God, maybe some are feeling like they're in prison. God, that they are not free at all, that they are just locked up, that they don't know who they are, they don't know what's next, that they wake up every morning feeling the pain of nothing. God, I pray that this morning they will open up their eyes and see that you have been there the whole time and that you, that you can and will set them free from the bondage of that prison that they are in. God, I pray that you help us all at Christian Life Church and in this community to reset our mind for your glory, for your purpose. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you.